1: Think on your feet for our Fast and Curious 5K, a one-of-a-kind race hosted by WBEZ and the Chicago Sun-Times on Saturday, July 27th at Humboldt Park. More info and early bird registration at WBEZ.org slash events.
2: Y'all, this is the first time that we have ever recorded a panel in person. No way. Oh, nice. Yeah. From WBEZ Chicago, this is Nerdette. I'm Greta Johnson. We did it. We made it to another weekend. Coming up, Elise Hue is going to tell us all about her new book, Flawless, which is a deep dive into the Korean beauty industry and what it means for American beauty standards. Glowy skin,
3: dewy skin, the multi-step skincare regimens, those all originated in Korea But first, it's our chance to sit
2: back and relax with two excellent humans. With us this week, we have the host of CityCast Chicago, Jacoby Cochran. Jacoby, hello.
1: Hey, thank you for having me here. I feel special. It is
2: very fun to see you in person, I got to (laughs) say. It's a real treat. Also here is WBEZ reporter Araceli Gomez-Aldana. Araceli, hello. Hi, how's it going? Oh my gosh, this is already so much fun, y'all, and we haven't even done anything yet. I love it. Okay, so I think we should start with Freaky Friday, partly because it is indeed Friday. Yes, I am talking about the 2003 body swap movie starring Jamie Lee Curtis and Lindsay Lohan.
3: I want my body back! And I don't want mine! My wedding's tomorrow! Oh my god, my wedding's tomorrow. Ah, I can't marry Ryan!
4: Ew!
2: I do feel like I should say this was actually based on a 1976 movie, which was based on a book. But yeah, it's the 20th anniversary of Freaky Friday, and they've agreed to do a sequel. Both Jamie Lee Curtis and Lindsay Lohan are game. Disney says it's happening. Araceli, is this a movie you watched as a kid?
4: I I did. I think everybody watched it. Like everybody around me watched it. I was like probably right around that age, and Lindsay Lohan was huge. I mean, yeah, totally. I also can't believe that was 20
2: years ago. So, are you stoked for a sequel, or could you take or leave it?
4: I'm OK with it. I'm, yeah. I'm OK with it. You know, I really like both of them. And I know that obviously Lindsay Lohan has gone up and down. Yeah, and, like, she's had career, a career. ride for But sure. I've always like ever since Parent Trap, I'm like, she's an amazing actress. You know, I'm also <laughs> I'm a child watching it. I'm like, how did she do that? So I always thought she was a really great actress. And then, I mean, Jamie Lee Curtis is amazing. Oh, yeah. And I, I just really will just watch probably whatever she makes. So. That's so funny. So, Jacoby, are you an
2: L.O.
1: fan? I did watch Freaky Friday as a kid. Yeah. And I'll be honest, I think I've just now crossed into that age threshold where I'm okay with sequels. Like, when I was in my mm. 20s, it was sequels of all my parents' movies, so I did not care. <laughs> but now that they <laughs> oh, now, now that we're, you're old enough to right, be the target demographic. Exactly. <laughs> now that we're doing 20-year anniversaries of movies, I vividly remember watching in theaters or at home on DVD. I, I don't mind. it. I love it.
2: Yeah, yeah. So then, Jacoby, I mean, what early movie would you like to see a sequel of
1: it's already had two but it's been 20 years since we've seen Friday you're ready for it so I want to see Friday four (laughs) which would be I guess so we have Friday next Friday Friday after next would be Friday after after next but it'd have to be so far in the future but I think they should finally bring Chris Tucker back Chris Tucker, who plays Smokey in the original Friday, did uh-huh. not do the next two, and they oh. brought in Mike Epps. I yes. think they should bring all three together: Ice Cube, Mike Epps, Chris
0: Tucker.
4: This is interesting because my husband's obsessed with Friday, mm-hmm. and he's watched it so many times I can't even watch it anymore. Mm-hmm. Like he recites the lyrics and everything. <laughs> and I have been hearing that they are going to do it for so many years, though. That Chris mm-hmm. Tucker's in, that they're going to do it, and then they—that's de-
1: they what they done say. It. But I, I would like to see another movie.
4: I was going to say it is pretty funny. It's funny that like,
2: we were talking about Freaky Friday and the only yeah. thing you could come up with is Friday. Friday. <laughs> but
1: another one, and it's, it's really not that much of a stretch. And we've already seen two more of these as well. Honestly, super problematic, sometimes racist movie, Rush Hour. Oh, Rush oh, Hour Four, classics, Chris classics. Tucker, Jackie Chan. I watched Rush for Chris Hour Four. To come back. I would just <laughs> want. I saw him in Air a <laughs> couple of weeks ago, and I was just like, "Man, why haven't we seen <laughs> yeah. more Chris Tucker?" So any reason to bring Chris Tucker back to to the screen? I'm, I'm down with it.
4: That's amazing. If you're listening, Chris
1: Tucker, Jacoby is a fan. <laughs> if you're listening, to yeah, he loves Nerdette, to Chicago's so that's totally... <laughs> WBC 91.5. point five. I'm sure he does. Come on.
2: I love that you think better, Sully. <laughs> so, what movie would you choose?
4: Mine is. Okay, I. W- this is weird. One of my favorite movies <laughs> is Flashdance.
3: Mm-hmm.
4: And they have not done anything with that. They haven't seen a show that, you know, like, you know, maybe it's a show. Maybe it's a movie. Um, bring it back. Let's do yeah. something. The actress is Jennifer Beals. And she's been in other stuff. Like, she's she's doing things, so why not? Yeah. You
2: know what I was kind of thinking? I think You've Got Mail is actually late 90s, oh, yeah. but that's one that I saw recently, and for the first time since I saw it in the mm-hmm. theater, and thought the Don't Cry Shop Girl line was actually really <laughs> sweet at the time, and then I watched it now and was like, oh, this whole thing is like a gaslight situation? Like, love it. It's so emotionally manipulative. He, like, runs her business to the ground and yeah. then, like, tricks her into falling in love with him. I would like a sequel of that where she's like, wait... You're trash. Yeah.
1: <laughs> Actually, now I might, I can't even watch my movies because I feel like without the semi toxicity of the early Rush Hour yes. Friday, they're not going to be good. So let me just, just <laughs> yeah. leave them in the bag.
2: Okay. So we also extremely need to talk about Martha Stewart because this week she made history as the oldest person ever to appear on the cover of Sports Illustrated's swimsuit edition. Uh, first of all, did y'all realize she's 81 years old? No.
4: No. No. 100% I did not. no. Like, what? No, she's in pop culture. Like she's, you know what I mean? Like it's so strange
2: Mm -hmm. to
1: think
4: about, but no.
2: Yeah, she's always there, whether she's in jail or not. She's right, she's got allowed. this,
1: like, rebrand with Snoop Dogg I, that I'm not 100% <laughs> a fan of. Well, I just don't think it gives the accurate portrayal of the criminal legal system. <laughs>
2: well, I think what's funny is, like, when you're 80, it turns out you can have a number of rebrands over mm-hmm. the course of your life. Apparently. I've definitely seen that Wait. with her. But I don't know. I think this is a really interesting one because a lot of people are calling it sort of like, you know, this is, like, diversity. This is She's making history with this. I mean... You know, my question is, like, is there any universe where putting an octogenarian on a sexy magazine cover is, like, actually moving society forward? Aristotle, you're making the best face
4: you right know. now. <laughs> I'm glad you could see me. <laughs> Your oh. head is, like, wobbling a <laughs> wreck. Like, right, we
1: couldn't stop camera for a second. Swimming through
4: it. I'm swimming <laughs> through it. The problem that I kind of had with it is, like, for people that are saying this is great, you know, kind of breaking down these barriers of older women yeah. being on covers and everything. Yeah. Then to see the images and yeah. they're very much like what you, what you, they always are. Yes. You know, it's like I'm going to lay down and I'm in a, in a bikini. And then there's like a shot of her coming out of the water. And like, so it's like, so we're not redoing anything. We're right, just, right, you and know, like and I maybe... don't know if that works. <laughs>
2: Well, and it's interesting because, like, even in um, actually, this, a conversation sort of similar to this came up with Nerdette Book Club this month. With like, there's an older female artist character who, mm-hmm. like, very much experiences desire, and I think that is really exciting for yeah. people to see because I think often, like, the postmenopausal woman is like more or less exactly. invisible, yeah. okay. and I think that is very real. But like, I'm not sure this is this is what we needed to to move the needle. This is
1: the <laughs> shortcomings of representational politics because often it is still dictated by a place of power and yes. white supremacy. Because if at the end yeah. of the day, if Martha Stewart is supposed to be the representation of bringing in older women into this, this form of expanding what desirability looks like for women, I don't know if a person with $400 million and yes. yes. the access to an abundance of resources, health yes. regimens, yeah. skincare regimens, uh, fillers, you mm-hmm. know, all, all of the things that are rightfully within her choice. Uh, but again, it comes up short because it does not expand our understanding or our purview of women of this age. It really it's her orbit is so large that you could leave this and not think this did anything for women for older women and just did something for Martha Stewart
4: yeah Mm -hmm. yeah, it's just this it's a page out of the same book Mm -hmm. yeah
2: she did an interview with Variety about it and she talked about how she she upped her Pilates to three times a week watched what she ate and stopped drinking alcohol she said she had her regular facials but maybe more frequently and she also got a spray tan and she says she's not a hairy person but she also got a complete body wax Which I think to your point, Chako, it's like it still only works in this like very tight Mm -hmm. frame of what is acceptable in this
1: context. Exactly. Still very contained. Has to check all of the boxes. Mm -hmm. You you can't you can show up as your full self, but your full self has to meet uh, a sort of criteria that I don't think anyone would argue that Martha Stewart has probably met. The majority of her career in the public eye.
2: Right. I will say, I mean, there is a photo where her like she's bending over and her belly is sort of touching her leg. And even that is like, given how much airbrushed everything is these days, like even that is like, oh, this is sort of an almost normal shaped human body, I guess.
1: Yeah. Yeah. And and that's not offering any sort of forgiveness or turn a blind eye to the people who took this and decided to just be the worst kind of people Mm -hmm. online. because. You know, Sports Illustrated Edition, very reductive, and they have, you know, made some attempts to expand what it means to have women on their cover, from sure. including trans women, from including what their definition of full-figured women is, <laughs> right. and mm-hmm. every single time they step out of even their own limited box, you see the vitriol pick up, and so we're definitely not sort of pushing to the aside, the aside how much hate Martha Stewart has gotten, uh, but, but we can't still be critical.
2: Yeah, For sure. Okay, so speaking of very intense beauty routines, as I mentioned, our next guest on the show is Elise Hugh from NPR. She recently wrote a book about how much American beauty standards have been impacted by Korean culture, which is so interesting. Um, One of those things, of course, is the multi-step skincare process. I'm actually really curious about both of you, what your skincare routines are like.
4: Growing up, like seeing my mom and like Mm -hmm. her, what she did, and like all the lotions and potions, it looked so fancy. Yeah, I I guess I liked the aesthetics of of everything. (laughs) Um, So growing up, you know, I I guess I I would say like a pretty normal. Like I have always gone up and down with my skin, but like as a teenager, it was like you know going through through everything, and of course, proactive was like the thing you would get. Uh So that was the beginning of my skincare. like history I like that you're starting you know? there and then moving forward and, and that's then good. yeah and then it was fine and then as an adult it kind of like was weird again my skin kind of changed again but mm. then at that point you know I'm so glad I had health insurance because then I just went to a dermatologist oh, and yeah. they said this is what you do and that is what I've done ever <laughs> since so you know it's like a very simplified routine now and it's like you know moisturizer face wash moisturizer always sunscreen
1: always
2: yeah <laughs> Jacoby what about you
1: For the longest, I was using any lotion, any face wash that I could get, any moisturizer. Um, I mean,
2: the fact that you were using face wash at all, though, I feel like a lot, you know.
1: yeah. I want to say at least when early preteen years is when, you know face wash and at least putting lotion on Yeah. but after that I had to be more specific about what type of face lotion I was using and now mm. I took a picture I have nine different <laughs> products
2: oh, wow. in my home. You're looking at the picture Yes,
1: right I, now. I took a picture before I came because <laughs> I thought about it and I have like a LaRoche face cleanser. Oh, that's nice,
4: nice stuff that's Yeah. <laughs> I have
1: a uh, sort of Edelweiss from the body shop, a, a smoothing day cream, oh, I have a lovely. night cream oh, my gosh. liquid peel, I use a daily serum, wow. I've got a tea tree anti-perfection daily Solution. Oh my uh, I god! Got a, I got a night mask. I do a, a weekly charcoal mask. Too good for you. And then I use a coffee moisturizer uh, every morning. Hey, well, no shit, that's wonder you're more than that's so great. It's always my eyebrows, my eyelashes, my face has always been pretty solid. I never really had to deal with breakouts <laughs> or anything like that. I'm very, very privileged. i I'm, But now I'm, I'm guaranteeing myself another like. At least two decades. 100%. 100%. Ridiculous. I love it. I love that you wear a serum, and I think
4: that's great.
2: It does feel like such a gift you can give yourself. And it doesn't have to cost hundreds of dollars. I want to be really clear about Mm -hmm. that. But, you know, like just those little, especially if you really like the smell or whatever, it's just like such a nice way to spend some time. Yeah. Yeah. Even yeah. though it's also a horrible capitalist trap, let's be clear. Let's
1: be real. But yeah.
4: you know, be like real. I, one of my favorite times of day is getting ready for bed. Like I get really excited about getting ready for bed. <laughs> you and got part a routine, of the, routine. Oh my gosh, I we have I so love much in I love it. I love sleep. I love getting <laughs> yep. ready for bed. Yep. And so part of it is that.
1: I think eventually I'll be an eye cream, foot cream, hand oh, cream, cream kind oh of person. Yeah, I think I'm on i I'm not track gonna lie, Jacoby, yeah. I can see it. I can yeah, see it right it's now. on the way. It's on the way. I can see like
2: falling asleep with like the little mittens on. Hi.
1: No, 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 honestly, I'm I'm I might push it. I'm not gonna, I just started using this uh, Japanese toothpaste, and I'm certain it's doing something for me. So I, I've been I've been bought. I've been bought.
2: Wow, tell me more about the toothpaste.
1: I, I'll send you a picture of it. Okay. It's really nice.
2: Okay. This is amazing. <laughs> this is such a treat.
4: Oh my gosh! Thank they should
1: have never gave me money. <laughs> <laughs> I also got a sugar scrub. Yeah. <laughs>
2: I am so glad we did this in person. Y'all are both glowing. Thank you both so much for coming on. This was I such a treat. I smiled this whole time. Right? Was great.
1: <laughs> Happy ten years! Yes.
2: Thank you. <laughs> After the break, we talk to Elise Hugh about her new book, Flawless: Lessons in Looks and Culture from the K Beauty Capital.
0: Nerdette is supported by the Sympathizer podcast from HBO.
1: More info and early bird registration at WBEZ.org slash events.
2: Our next guest is Elise Hugh. She was the NPR Bureau Chief in Seoul for four years. She's the host of TED Talks Daily. She is a fabulous book club reader on our show. And now she is an author. Her new book is called Flawless Lessons in Looks and Culture from the K-Beauty Capital. Maybe you've never been to Korea, but Korean culture is already everywhere in the United States. There's K-pop, K-drama,
3: K-film, and the Oscar goes to Parasite. Its cultural impact is huge. Six out of 10 Netflix viewers around the world, so all Netflix subscribers, have watched some sort of Korean content.
2: And in all of that content, there are beautiful Korean actors shepherding the looks and standards of Korean beauty across the globe.
3: There are so many ideals, too, when it comes to K-beauty that have crossed over into the U.S. and the West in general, like glowy skin, dewy skin, the multi-step skincare regimens. Those all originated in Korea. It's not just current. Elise is arguing that Korea is the future and we are more or less just along for the ride. I quote somebody in the book talking about how when it comes to beauty trends in personal care or cosmetics, skincare, Korea is not just a little bit ahead, but usually a decade ahead of the rest of us. So you're probably already seeing it or even wearing it in your day to day. Oh, right now it's perms. (laughs) And you see that among K-pop stars. But now it's increasingly popular in the United States. I have a friend who got one last year. See, there you go. So a lot of sort of male skincare, male hair care trends. That were first originated in Korea are now crossing over to the United States. But the women's sort of beauty trends have already been transferring for at least a decade. So at least since the time I went over there, skin masks, those sheet masks originated Mm -hmm. in Japan and then Korea made them big. The bright pop of color for your lip. Oh, Mm. and also stains. So lip stains. Mm. I love a lip stain. I do. Yeah, yeah. So lip stain is a great example of the way that K-Beauty products, the industry, plays with sort of the form factor how they deliver the makeup right so they'll they'll take something that used to come in a tube and then have deliver it as a stain in a nail polish like container instead you know and then boom you have a new product and then they might change that and like put a little bit of that into a gloss and then you know call it something else and so that continues to just allow r&d to test and innovate but also fuels a market and fuels constant selling and advertising of whatever is coming up.
2: Well, there was this really funny moment early on where you're talking about, I think it's like an overnight mask with green tea in it from Jeju Island. Yeah. And and you talk about how much you ended up liking it yourself. And I Google, I was like, oh, should I buy this? And then I was like, Greta, that is not the point of this book.
3: <laughs> but sure it is. I mean, that's the thing. It's just like it wrestles with the duality Of beauty culture because it can be exhausting and anxiety producing and it fuels this lookism that I talk about, which is just another ism of appearance based discrimination, which can be so awful and unwelcoming for outsiders, but also unwelcoming for women who live In Korea and have grown up there and are constantly getting discriminated against or judged by their appearance. So on one hand, beauty culture can be that way. And we need to have a more affirmative vision for how we regard our bodies. That is indisputably true. But on the other hand, there are ways to sort of care for ourselves and care for our bodies that can feel really nurturing. And for me, there is a one of the ways I do that comes in the form of a product. And it's not a product product that I have to spend a lot of money on. And it's not. It's something that I could easily quit. Um, But (laughs) but it's it's this green tea sleeping mask from Innisfree. Yeah, I think
2: it's such a fascinating duality. And I think you address it really well in the book, because I think you're absolutely right. There's the version that is, you know, supporting a lot of really oppressive systems, including capitalism, including misogyny, including, you know, I would love to talk more about lookism, too, because that was a term I hadn't heard before and thought was really interesting. But on the other hand, there is, you know, some of the things that you're talking about really are providing women and all sorts of people with agency, to feel and appear and have control over the way they're treated in a way that they might not otherwise.
3: Yeah, you get to be a class chameleon because beauty or the way we adorn ourselves um, is a performance of class, right? So when we talk about people Mm -hmm. who look good, it often means they look rich. If you look at, yeah, like the Kardashians, which are who are heavily worked on. But also, if you think about this beauty standard of makeup, no makeup, or what I call affecting effortlessness out of effort. Uh The reason you can look so good all natural is because of a lot of labor that allows for your skin to be sort of youthful and have that glow. Or you get eyelash extensions painstakingly applied so that you don't have to wear eye makeup. Yeah. Well, the class thing is really interesting, too, because you
2: talk about this in the book. I always assumed that in a place like Korea, the lighter skin, prioritizing lighter skin and thinking of that as being more beautiful, that colorism was related to racism and colonialism. But you talk about how that's not actually the case when it comes to that standard.
3: Yeah, it's classism that dates back to the early dynasties, right? Because the aristocrats could afford to be out of the fields. And then the poorer classes had to actually be working on agrarian farms or, you know, just outside in general. And so... There was an aspiration to whiteness because it also signified wealth, Mm. which isn't to say that war and (laughs) um, colonialism doesn't play a role, too, because war and the way and occupation play a huge role in beauty standards um, that are dictated by plastic surgery, for example, because plastic Mm. surgery comes out of fixing disfigurements from war. God, that's so
2: intense. Speaking of plastic surgery, I mean, Seoul is the world capital for that.
3: It sure is. There are more plastic surgeons per capita in South Korea than any other place on the planet. No other country comes even close. The runner up is Brazil. South Korea has 150% more plastic surgeons per capita (laughs) than Brazil and four times more plastic surgeons per capita than the United States, where we thought we had a lot of cosmetic surgery going on. Right. So the specialization, the skill, the sophistication of that market is second to none. And as a result, what comes about is supply of various solutions to problems can then create demand. So it's they'll use a lot of world-class diagnostic techniques for your skin or analyze the specific ratios of your face and then compare that against some machine-driven ratio that's supposedly the ideal ratio and then tell you, oh, Mm. your skull could be more curved, right? So it's basically identifying a problem, a so-called problem, and then selling you a solution to fix it. Which, I mean,
2: if anyone has gotten a facial, I kind of feel like that's what's happening there, too. You a know? lot of upselling. Like, are
3: my pores really that bad or is it fine? You know? Yeah, yeah. There's a, I, I, I noticed that. I feel like I'm hip to that now so much more than I was before. And mm. if anything, hopefully we can be more aware and not passively consume or passively go through these really practices of aesthetic labor. I call it aesthetic labor because it is work. It's work that we're not just doing for free. It's work that we're paying to do. And if anything, if this can stop and make us A, be aware of it, but maybe B, interrogate it and like draw the line somewhere for us in a sweet spot that's more comfortable and less extractive, then that's great. That's a good reason.
2: It's so fascinating. Okay, so I want to talk about lookism more because, as I mentioned, it was a word I hadn't heard of. And I think it's a really interesting one, partly because – I imagine it's really difficult to distinguish lookism from a lot of other isms that we're working with in society these days.
3: Lookism and sexism and racism and fatphobia all interact. In fact, I would put fatphobia in under the umbrella of lookism because thinness is probably the primary beauty standard of the global pillars of beauty so a lot of the book relies on the research of heather widows who is a british philosopher in the area of body culture and beauty culture and she identifies four global beauty pillars and they are thinness firmness smoothness and youth Mm. but lookism is quite simply appearance-based discrimination and it happens in korea in both the professional sphere and the personal sphere Passport photos are photoshopped at stores by default. Um, wow. Headshots are required on resumes. When it comes to the matchmaking firms where you can sign up to try and meet a match, um, you are judged by specs. So sp- the term specs that we typically use for devices mm-hmm. you, in Korea, they're used on humans. Um, and those specs will be your bra size and your height and your weight. And your hairlessness and whether you possess a certain je ne sais quoi, a certain cuteness, that gets ranked as well. And so you're constantly, your body is constantly this product that has to measure up against other people. Right. And it's not only marginalizing for those who can't fit in. Um, appearance based bullying is extremely common. I heard s- endless stories of appearance based bullying starting in elementary school for so many Korean people. And it's true for us in the US too. I just th- don't think we name it as lookism. Right.
2: But it's also not, I mean, don't you think it can't be as overt here as it is there, right?
3: Yeah, and there's the a stuff bunch of EEOC about. laws and things right. that will protect, <laughs> protect you from being judged by your appearance or people making comments about it when At you're being hired. Yeah, but I think that the way that the U.S. kind of papers over all of the ways that we can be judged on our looks sure. isn't helpful in fighting it either, because we kind of have to yeah. label something as a problem in order to tackle it and challenge it. Yeah, that's very true.
2: It's so interesting to thinking about this from the context of just, you know, being a woman who has grown up moving through the world. And, you know, you talk about the idea of how difficult it can be to realize that uh, your self worth doesn't have to come from what you look like, or at least it shouldn't. Um, I feel like, you know, especially women moving through this world, we're forced to reckon with so many of these things. I'm really curious to hear about. The point at which for you and your own personal experience, you were like, oh, this is a book because mm. you are talking about so many universal issues.
3: It was sometime after I moved back. So in the three and a half, nearly four years that I spent in Seoul, Trump was president for most of it. And mm. then Kim Jong Un was Testing his missiles and even his Mm. nuclear bombs underground constantly. So super chill. (laughs) Super chill. (laughs) You know, just another Tuesday. Yeah, totally straightforward uh, (laughs) stuff. Everything's fine. And all the while, I wasn't feeling really safe and welcome. Like... It moving mm. about space in seoul sure <laughs> and yeah. it's, it would eat at me but i didn't think it was like a journalistic pursuit and mm. towards the end of my time i was realizing that my young daughter so i happened to have three daughters two yeah. of them born in seoul but i was noticing that my young daughter the oldest one was getting comments on her looks and she would actually look in the mirror after somebody would say like oh you're so pretty look at your eyelashes yeah. and then she would look in the mirror and be like, "Oh, I'm pretty." And then find that she she started to make that link where she was deriving value based yep. on her her reflection in the mirror of and course. I was like, "Ooh, ooh it's happening. Yeah. Ah, yeah. you're seeing yourself in the gaze of somebody else." And then in other times where she would just get complimented by with a remark like, "You're so pretty." She would actually ask me, oh, is it because of my eyelashes? And so she was fragmenting herself. You know, she was breaking herself down into parts to be (laughs) judged without actually realizing what was happening. So by the time I came back, I was frustrated by my experience and that I didn't write more about what was happening because There was all sorts of collective organizing happening among Korean feminists while I was there. I was just too busy with the national security story. There were the largest women's rallies in Korean history in 2018 when I was there, and I didn't make it to a single one. So I had this real nagging sense of unfinished business and my own baggage, and there was so much reporting that still needed to be done, and I thought it could be best handled in book form. That's
2: really cool. So how do you think your own self-perception has changed while working on
3: this book? I'm so much kinder to myself. Mm. So it seems kind of selfish, I think, especially the way that culture works on us as women to sort of say, oh, be kind to yourself. Prioritize yourself. Exactly. But what is so powerful about it is that in being kinder to myself, in letting myself and my body off the hook, I have I have opened up such deeper connections with other people and um, my own wells of compassion have gotten deeper too with Mm -hmm. my own networks and my friends and my community. And so if I have a message at all, it's that self care should be really predicated on care for one another. And that's Mm -hmm. extremely powerful. And that if we all sort of turn down the volume of a lot of this beauty culture stuff in our own heads, that one day there can be a critical mass of change, you know, that is hopefully more aspirational and less lookist for future generations. So speaking of your daughters, you dedicated this book to them. and I'd love to
2: know if there's something like, uh, how, what relationship do you want them to have with their own beauty as they grow up?
3: Oh, gosh, I just I recently wrote a piece about this. Mm. um, And it's about sort of trying to raise a daughter or raise daughters with less bodily shame Mm -hmm. because my eldest is now 10 years old and she's wanting to shave her legs which I Mm. see as beauty work that once you start you can't stop and she sees her friends bodies and she wants to look like them and she's obsessed with a skincare and makeup line from Millie Bobby Brown who Mm. was on Stranger Things Mm -hmm. And so mainly I am trying to cultivate two ideas with them in the way that I sort of model my own relationship with my body, because I think with parenting show, don't tell like show, don't tell. Yeah. And so I write about this in flawless. So you can read more about it if you get the book. But um, I write about body neutrality and sensualism. So body neutrality is different than body positivity in that it emphasizes what the body can do rather than what Mm -hmm. it looks like. Um, and then centralism is this idea that focuses on what the body feels. So it's more inclusive of those with disabilities. So for example, when the girls try on clothes, I used to just immediately go to like, oh, that looks so cute or great color on you. And it was really aesthetically focused. I'm really trying to retrain myself and ask them like, can you move easily? Is the Mm. fit comfortable for your activities? How does the fabric, right? How does the fabric feel on your skin? And I realized with the baby of the family, they actually embody this on their own. Because Uh one time I asked my daughter, Luna, why aren't you wearing that romper I got you? It's so cute. So Uh (laughs) that was my own. Why aren't you you forcing yourself into this And she goes, I don't want to take off all my clothes to go pee. Oh. Because well, you know, the, with the one piece you have to like yeah get. of course and so that was sort of an, like a real embodiment of this ideal that you really think about things in terms of how your body feels or what it can do and cultivate an appreciation for it um from the inside out and mm. that's what i want for them
2: well elise thank you so much for coming on and sharing the story with us it's a phenomenal book and i can't wait for people to read it
3: thank you for listening to it and thanks for having me on again too That was Elise Hugh. Her new book, Flawless, comes out on Tuesday.
2: All right, that's it for this week. But before we go, you may have heard me mention this before, but May is actually the 10th anniversary of this show, which is completely just impossible to fathom. But we are planning a special uh, episode about it in the beginning of June, and we would love to hear your thoughts. You could just like call in and sing happy birthday. You could tell us about your favorite episode. You could talk about when you first started listening literally anything at all about the show we would love to hear from you we want you to be a part of the celebration so record whatever you want and then email that file to nerdatpodcast at gmail.com and you might be in our celebratory episode nerdette is produced by me and anna bauman jp swenson builds our newsletter and brendan banizak is our executive producer have a great weekend
4: who has the time for baths? Like I really,
1: really, yeah. very rarely oh, have time I've never for baths. Bath I take
2: though. baths three times a week. Okay, I try, but it's like. Do you shower
1: first or do you just take a bath?
2: Bath and then shower after.
4: Oh, I haven't mm. tried that.
1: I'm more <laughs> of a shower, bath, rinse person. Well, that's person. what I've been doing. Oh, like yeah. I, I just shower don't like Kobe then soup. bath. I'm just Kobe soup. Yeah, Mm-mm. that's what. going let that water
0: start changing colors. I will. I will start making myself <laughs> feel bad. It's
2: not going to change color. <laughs> i been having some hard days out here in these streets.